This morning, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. So we've already this morning heard um, the passage that's so often the one that frames the day when we gather together on Palm Sunday. Today we're going to look at one that's perhaps a little less common um, to look at on our Palm Sunday celebration. But I think we'll see some connections between the two. I invite you to turn to Mark 14, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. But before we join in the reading of God's word, let's pray and invite his spirit to illuminate for us. God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we pray now that you would send your spirit as we together read it, study it, consider its guidance for our life. May your spirit show us the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear these words from Mark 14. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of the perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we began our worship service this morning with a celebration. Our children led the way with the waving of palms and singing as we, in a small way, reenacted the scene that we had heard from so many years ago of when Jesus came into Jerusalem, hailed as king. The people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They honored him. They paved their way with, paved his way with their coats as the Messiah rode into the city. Has that ever seemed strange to you that we reenact that moment in worship every year? I mean, even besides the palm branches, and the red carpet of coats, it's always seemed sort of strange to me, at least. I think 
I think it's because on one hand, I know it's so very true and right that we should proclaim Jesus as king and praise him as we come closer and closer to the time of Easter. And yet, if you are familiar with the Gospels or if you've been following along with us through the book of Mark over these past few weeks, we know that leading up to that day when they praised him in Jerusalem with the waving of palm branches, Jesus has been predicting his death at every turn and declaring that what would happen when he got to Jerusalem was that he would be crucified. And now here he is, coming into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna. And somehow that celebration of the crowds, to me, just seems sort of mixed together with, with a looming darkness of knowing what's about to happen, like when you've, you're watching a movie that you've seen before or even one you haven't, and you hear that music crescendo behind it, we know something's about to happen, even as the palm branches wave. And those of us who know the rest of this story, who know that Good Friday is coming, we know it's only a matter of days from when those crowds go from shouting Hosanna to yelling, crucify him. It seems to me that the celebration of Palm Sunday stands out in stark contrast to the rest of our journey through Lent. It stands out against the reality of Jesus' death that is drawing ever closer to us. The joyful waving of palm branches is almost an interruption in that narrative where Jesus keeps saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, and we see it coming just ahead as he comes to Jerusalem. But wait, here's this moment of celebration, of honoring him as king, an interruption in the story, the narrative that we see playing out. I think that's one of the similarities I see to the story of the woman at Bethany. Her story stands out against its background in a similar way. Look with me at the beginning of Mark chapter 14. The writer begins by reminding us of that ongoing plot of the teachers of the law have been, have been building against Jesus. And this is not the first time we've heard something like this. Often after Jesus challenges the religious authorities, scripture tells us that the chief priests and the teachers of the law began looking for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against him, as we heard just a few weeks ago when we looked at Mark 12. But now it seems things are getting even more serious. Things are getting dangerous now that Jesus is in Jerusalem. In those opening two lines of chapter 14, Jesus' enemies are considering the timing of their plans. They're looking for a way to arrest him in secret, away from the crowds, so that they can arrest and kill him. And at the end of the passage, it's almost like the story continues there. When we get to verse 10, Judas steps up and answers their wondering in the first two in the first two verses, he's willing to help them find that quiet moment that they need to hand Jesus over to the authorities. And right in the middle of all of that, in the midst of their scheming, between verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 11, this woman, an interruption to the story of Jesus' death, an interruption, a woman 
who walks into the middle of a dinner party to which she apparently was not even invited. Her story interrupts the plot line that is quickly moving from Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem towards his death on the cross. She comes in, in the middle of dinner, surprising all of the dinner guests. An unnamed woman breaks into the plot line of Jesus' death to honor him. I wish we knew her name. I wish I could say something besides the woman who anointed Jesus at Bethany every time I want to talk about her. In fact, throughout history, people have tried to understand her identity. There are similar stories in some of the other Gospels, and many have wondered, if is this the same story as that one about Mary, the sister of Lazarus, Lazarus and Martha, who anointed Jesus' feet in John? Or is she the same woman who Luke tells about, one who is forgiven of her sin and weeps over his feet? Many speculations have been made about who she is, about why she offers this extravagant gift. But Mark tells us nothing about her. Not a bit about her background, about her motivation. Instead, he simply allows her action to speak for itself. She doesn't even speak in the whole narrative. But Jesus interprets her actions for us. He says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. Entering that room in the middle of dinner, pouring out this gift for Jesus in front of everyone. A beautiful thing to do. As one commentator has said, it was the one act of love towards Jesus in the midst of great human opposition. You see, many other people have interrupted Jesus along the way throughout his ministry. Pharisees have interrupted to challenge his teaching. The crowd has interrupted Jesus to ask for his help. And soon the chief priests will interrupt to arrest him. But this woman comes in, in the middle of all that is happening, in the middle of all of the scheming, not to ask for anything from him, but simply to honor him. To honor his presence with a beautiful gift. Some who see what she does call it a waste, but Christ calls it beautiful. So what was this gift? Let's look a little more closely at it. The text tells us that a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. She didn't carefully open that precious bottle of perfume and offer a little dab as a sign of hospitality or generosity. She broke the jar. Shattered might be a better interpretation of the word in Greek. She broke it and she poured out every last drop on Jesus' head. A costly, imported perfume. Both the decorative alabaster container and the perfume itself, which was derived from spikenard plants that grow in the Himalayan mountains far away, Both of those things, they're luxury items. 
And the text tells us they were worth more than a year's wages. Or for a woman, perhaps two years' wages in that time. It was certainly a costly gift. I mean, think of that. Did you, in Ottawa County, the average income per person is about $25,000. What, for $25,000, could we imagine someone wasting like this today? Maybe they give a signed rookie card of a famous baseball player to a child. Maybe they just pour out a collection of fine, rare wines. Give away an original artwork of some kind. It's difficult for me to come up with a reasonable comparison. But imagine seeing someone take something so valuable and waste it. Something they would have saved up for years and years and years to buy or would have inherited from a family member like a precious heirloom and break it or use it all up in an instant. I think it's no wonder that those who watched her were indignant and wondered if she could have put it to better use. But Jesus says it's a beautiful thing. He silences their rebuke. And I don't think he's denying our obligation to help the poor here. When he declare, but he declares that her action was a participation in his mission. And that that takes priority over all the good works that we could do when they're done for their own sake. Her desire is to honor Christ and to do his will. She doesn't do something good to prove herself or to impress him with her generous actions. She simply pours out her gift to Christ himself, to honor him. To honor Christ, who has come to die. Christ, who has come to pour out his life for the sake of the world. And so her gift, anointing his head with perfume, was her way of aligning herself with his work. With testif- and testifying to it. Jesus says, She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. This woman heard or saw that Jesus was in her neighborhood, and she seized the opportunity to take part in what he was doing. Her action shows her understanding of his teaching and her willingness to give all that she has to follow him. She is a true disciple. Just a few chapters earlier in Mark, Jesus taught his disciples what it means to follow him. This is what he said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I think this woman's actions, her extravagant gift, demonstrate her willingness to deny herself. She disregards the potential consequences of her actions. Friends, she breaks all kinds of rules by coming into the middle of this dinner party walking up to a man and boldly pouring out her devotion to him. Bystanders consider it a waste. They consider the perfume a loss. 
But she doesn't see it that way. She is willing to give everything she has for Jesus, just as Jesus loses his life for those who love him. But I think her action does even more than testify to her own devotion to Jesus. It also signifies something else, an understanding that she has about who Jesus is. She is the only person in this scene, the only person among the disciples who seems to recognize that Jesus is not only the Messiah, but that he has to suffer. The term Messiah, you'll hear it thrown around a lot if you're in church over these next couple of weeks. It's a Hebrew, a Hebrew word, but it means the same thing as the word Christ. So Messiah and Christ, they, they mean the same thing. And literally, it means the anointed one. It's a reference from the Old Testament to the practice of prophets who anointed the king of Israel when he took office. We can look back at the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel or 1st and 2nd Kings to see many examples of prophets doing this, anointing the head of the king with oil or with perfume as a symbol. And this is a well-known symbol of what it means to be king, to be anointed, to be the anointed one. That's, that's the word for it, the Messiah. And as unusual and as boundary-breaking as this woman's action to interrupt their dinner is, by pouring this oil on Jesus' head, her action resonates with something that would have been clearly understood. She is making a prophetic declaration that Jesus is the anointed one. She is telling everyone in that room without using a single word, that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the one that was predicted in the Old Testament, the King of Kings, the one that Israel had been waiting for since the exile to free them from oppression, to guide them back into right relationship with God. And so the woman takes on the role of prophet, anointing Jesus, the Messiah. And unlike the other disciples who said with their words, yeah, you are the Messiah, the Christ, but then protested his predictions of his death. The woman act, woman's actions declare that he is the king who will die for his people. She does a beautiful thing for Jesus. Her actions join his words in predicting his death because she prepares his body for burial beforehand. A beautiful thing. Her perfume is a gift of sacrificial love, but it's also a prophetic testimony about Jesus' identity as the king who will give his life for the sake of his people. And that's a beautiful thing indeed. In the context of Jesus' impending death, while the religious leaders are plotting away, Judas is making plans to betray, and the other disciples will soon abandon Jesus. This woman's beautiful act is remembered as a model of our own response to love of Christ. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has been done will be told in memory of her. That's quite an acclamation from Christ. 
What she has done will be told in memory of her wherever the gospel is preached, that she has done a beautiful thing, an act of devotion to Christ, a demonstration of her desire to follow him, and a testimony to the gospel of Christ's self-giving love that led him to the cross. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we've said. The beginning of Holy Week, we reenact things that happened 2,000 years ago. We remember them. But it would be pretty easy for us to just go about the rest of this week like normal, to do our daily tasks, to prepare dinner, to talk with friends. And maybe some of us will do a few extra things, like go to a Good Friday service or prepare an Easter dinner. But I wonder what would happen if we allowed this woman's story to interrupt our lives this week, like she interrupted Simon's dinner. What if we could follow in the footsteps of this nameless woman who heard that Jesus was nearby and stopped what she was doing to burst into the room, interrupting the lives of others around her to do a beautiful thing for Jesus? She's not unlike each of us, as prophetic as she is. She heard who Jesus was. She heard about his teaching. So she did all that she could to join him. Jesus was preparing to pour out his life for others, so she poured out her most valuable possession for him. Jesus had been preaching the truth of the gospel, and so she, by her actions, testified to that same truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told. And so today, as we are on our way to Good Friday, to the cross of Christ, we remember her. This woman who shows us what a true follower of Jesus looks like. Her actions testify to Christ, but they are also so simple. As Jesus says, she did what she could. She took what she had, and she gave it to Jesus. Knowing who Jesus is and what he was doing, she did all she could to live her life like Jesus would. Right in the midst of her everyday life, she took an opportunity to serve Jesus with what she had. My friends, I think this woman has no name because she could be any one of us. So I wonder, what would it look like if you were her? What could you give to demonstrate your love for Jesus in light of his extravagant Good Friday gift to us? What risk could you take to testify to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done? What would it look like for you to join Jesus in his mission in the world? I think it would be a beautiful thing, whatever it is. Beautiful like children singing their hearts out for Jesus. Beautiful like a friend going above and beyond to show compassion for someone who's suffering. I can't tell you exactly what it would be for you. But I can tell you that it is a beautiful thing. When followers of Jesus are willing to do what they can 
to give what they have to share the message of Christ's loving sacrifice with the world. So this week, as the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection approaches, let this story interrupt your life. Let her memory interrupt your daily routine and take the opportunity, as Christ said we should, Let her story prompt you to consider what beautiful thing you could do to honor Jesus and to testify to his self-giving love for this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for stories like the story of this woman in Scripture who demonstrate for us the beautiful things that we are called to do. God, most of all, we give you thanks for the most beautiful gift you have given us, the self-giving sacrifice of Christ on the cross, who poured out all of his love for us, all of his life for us, that we might be reconciled to God. God, in the name of Jesus, we give you all thanks and praise and glory and honor. Amen.